The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to the Sox Machine Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and it's Monday, March 13, 2023, as we continue our 2023 position season preview episodes while you listen to this podcast and attempt to fill out a March Madness bracket. Last week, we previewed the Chicago White Sox corner infielders, spending a lot of time talking about Andrew Vaughn and Yoan Makata. In this episode, we're going to look at the White Sox middle infielders. Is 2023 a bounce back season for Tim Anderson? Can Elvis Andrews play up to the level he did with the White Sox last year? And, and in emergency, who are the best available depth options for the White Sox? We'll start previewing those positions in a moment, but I want to talk about the World Baseball Classic as it's taken the baseball world by storm. And joining me is the managing editor of SoxMachine.com. It's Jim Margulis. And hello, Jim. I'm completely sold. In previous editions of the World Baseball Classic, I was kind of in. I thought it was a bit gimmicky. But after this World Baseball Classic, after Pool A and what we've seen from Pool B, and the first games in Pool C and Pool D. I watched baseball all day on Saturday, and I'm completely hooked. We've got great games, impressive performances, outstanding stadium atmospheres. I think this tournament's got staying power. How how are you enjoying the World Baseball Classic, or are you indifferent, or do you not like the World Baseball Classic? I am not as in on it, but only because the Briar, the men's Canadian curling championships happening at the same time, <laughs> it's wrapping up tonight. So like after that, like I'm free, uh, but I've been watching both, like kind of split screening both. So I have not like immersed myself in it uh, to the level that you have from, but what I've seen, I've liked. And I mean, I, I've caught up all highlights like the uh, Venezuela Dominican Republic game mm -hmm. uh, with the shirt button malfunction and the crowd going nuts. Like that was, uh, that was awesome. Uh, I, Great Britain's uh, managed to come out with a couple of like quick hits uh, that have like put like a little bit of a scare into the well, United States and then Canada, and then things got messy. But uh, I, I thought it was really cool the way like 
Czech Republic and Japan kind of clashed and, and uh, the way Japan, like the words they had for each other in terms of the respect on the field of, of uh, Japan trying to encourage uh, the way the Czechs players have grown. So like, there's a lot of like, I think we're finally starting to see some of the um, things that were promised from the project, which was like the Americans buying in, because I think that's ultimately going to sell Americans on the viability and the importance of the world baseball classic when theoretically the world's most important baseball is being played in America every day. So you have that. So, I mean, like having Mike Trout in and everybody else lining up behind him, that's great. And then also just the, you know, the also rands, or I guess the second division of world talent maintaining its interest and, and being able to field rosters that can play a game or at least like a half a game, you know, provide some real baseball uh, experience that I think is, is making this, more tenable. So yeah, I, I think we've seen the um the growth of the whole world baseball classic. It required, I think, you know, multiple passes at it to get it right. And now I think with America coming in like full bore and just every other part of the world like um shaping up and 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 you know, Japan countries like Japan and Cuba have been there already. They've been wanting to uh prove themselves the whole time. Same thing with Korea. But like, you know, other like I would say like the European countries. Uh, you know, besides the Netherlands, like seeing them starting to uh, shore up their games a lot, I think means an awful lot as well to make it more of a worldwide thing. Yeah, Cuba with Luis Robert and Yohan Makata, they are advancing. Italy is also advancing. And Mike Piazza is the uh, manager for Team Italy. Don't try to have me explain how that tiebreaker worked. Does everybody in Pool <laughs> A finish with identical 2-2 two and two records? I'm so glad so many people online were able to figure out the math as far as the tiebreakers. I, I could not get it straight. Like if the Netherlands scored five runs in the ninth inning, but and they still would have lost the game, but they would have advanced over Italy. It was it was very confusing on on the tiebreakers. But when you've got five teams and everybody finishes two and two, you really need to go all the way through the tiebreakers. But alas, Cuba advances, Italy advances. Our friends down in Australia, uh, AJ Mithin, uh, the Aussies, a, an upset win over Korea. And that's what really got me going mm -hmm. because that game was absolutely crazy. In Tokyo, you mentioned Japan, and they look like every bit of the powerhouse I thought that they could be when we made our predictions in our previous podcast episode. And what can you say about the Dominican Republic of Venezuela game in Miami? You know, people, and I'm one of them, have thought long and hard about Miami being a viable major league market. Man, when you got the Dominican Republic and you got Venezuela in that stadium— that stadium feels completely different than any Miami Marlins game. They even had the All-Star game there not that long ago. It was a different energy and vibe that I did not think Miami had when it came to baseball. But it feels like it only comes out during the World Baseball Classic. And this upcoming Wednesday, you got a mega matchup again. The Dominican Republic against Puerto Rico, which is going to be absolutely outstanding and I don't know what their plans are in the future I don't know if they've announced that they're going to try to do this every three years or every four years I know you have the Summer Olympics in Los Angeles in 2028 in which baseball will, will return the Summer Olympics goes back to Paris and Paris France has no interest in building baseball fields so baseball will not be an Olympic sport in 2024 but it will be in 2028 I'm just kind of curious on how it moves forward but you know, we're not even to the quarterfinals yet, 
and uh, I'm I'm totally sold. Like I really do hope they keep this format, and I think that they're after this particular instance, Jim, that there's going to be significant interest, especially from the United States, because you you made a great point. America needs to buy into this because so many guys would just skip because they got a regular season to think about uh, in just a few weeks as we're not that far away from opening day. But yet, Mookie Betts leading off, Mm -hmm. Mike Trout batting second, Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado, the cornerstones of the St. Louis Cardinals, like that's your top four. Uh, maybe not the greatest pitching depth, but you have some of the best position players America has to offer and they are participating. And I hope this continues because the next time that there's a world baseball classic, we'll do more on socks machine. I didn't have much plan for the world <laughs> baseball classic. Cause I was just like in fear of it, if it would be a dud and be like, why am I spending all this energy? But the next world baseball classic, Jim, I promise everyone We'll be more involved. We'll have more things for the World Baseball Classic. I just, I didn't know what to expect because we haven't had this since 2017. Yeah, it's it's a case where for some of these players, it's going to be the most important baseball they play all year. And probably for most players, mm-hmm. especially like the ones in the uh, countries who aren't producing a lot of major leaguers, like it will be. And that was probably a backhanded compliment Uh well before you know, like even 2017 i think 2017 things started to turn in the favor of like you know it being important but before then it was just kind of like oh it's it's cute you have this little tournament and you know some countries took it seriously some didn't you saw the imbalance there 2017 i think you saw you know america start to take it a little bit more seriously uh and but then you know with mike trout getting involved and everybody falling in line behind him like yeah it's it's a case where like, you know, it's, I guess a bad thing for Mike Trout, if it's the most important baseball he plays all year. And I think a lot of baseball fans are hoping it isn't like he and Shohei Otani can actually uh, do something in the postseason. but you know, for, you know, what it is for coming before the season for bringing in so many players who are not major leaguers, like it's, it, you know, it's the real, I think the only thing keeping it from feeling like real high stakes baseball is the pitch counts, like having that float up, uh, mm-hmm. And, you know, it has to happen in order to maintain major league interest. Um, but that's really the only thing that, you know, lessens the stage of it is just knowing there's an arbitrary, not arbitrary, but like a, a fixed uh, amount of pitches a guy can throw no matter how he's doing to where he'll be removed and feels arbitrary if a guy's pitching well, especially like in, in countries where they might only have one or two good pitchers and it could get messy afterwards. Yeah, that's what we have been seeing. If you're the one of the betting folks, live betting has been your friend uh, during this World Baseball Classic, especially when you get into the deep parts of some countries' bullpen. They just don't have enough arms. One of the countries that has certainly impressive arms, it's got two White Sox players, Cuba. As we mentioned, they advance out of the pool, and their reward is fo- facing the follow-up the runner-up, I should say, and I believe that's going to be Australia in the quarterfinals, and they're going to have to make their way through Japan if they're going to reach the semifinals. And for Cuba, like, Yoan Makata and Luis Robert had slow starts when you watch those games. Makata started 1-for-11 in the World Baseball Classic, and then in the game against Panama, Cuba erupted. They were down 4-2, and they ended up winning 12-4. to They scored 10 runs in a matter of three innings, and Yoan Mercado was a big part of that. And he has now reached on base six of his last seven plate appearances, including a home run against Taiwan or Chinese Taipei. 
And Mikata finished as far as pool play going six for 17 with two doubles, a home run, five RBIs, walked twice and struck out three times. That's pretty good for four games. So that looks a lot better than the first two games he played. And Luis Roberts hitting the ball hard. He doesn't have a home run to show for it, but right now he's five for 19. The strikeout to walk is a little concerning. He's got seven strikeouts to zero walks as he's just been in swing mode so far. But for a moment there, Jim, I didn't think Yohan McCann and Luis Robert were going to be making it to the next round as they were really struggling and Cuba fell 0-2 in pool play. And then now they have won back-to-back games in large part because Makata and Robert have been hitting. Is this a good thing for the White Sox? From a White Sox perspective, is this a good thing to see Yohan Makata now Luis Robert going into the next round and continuing to play in the World Baseball Classic rather than returning back to Glendale for spring training? I think there's like a natural element of nerves to where just like they're across on the other side of the world. And, uh, you know, our training staff can't, you know, maintain contact with them. And with all the ways Moncada comes up wincing, you never quite know what it is, you know, hamstring oblique. Did he sit on his keys? You know, it's just, it, it's hard to know exactly the seriousness of just, you know, how he's feeling because he either hides pain well or hides pain poorly. It's hard to tell. Um, but with Robert, you know, it, it's more of a Robert, the health issue isn't necessarily there for me as much because his, uh, injuries seem to be more, um, almost like, you know, there's like a trauma involved, like a serious event that happens that knocks him out. You know, it's not the ca- case of, uh, like more Moncada. It's like something he can play through, uh, Robert, like you tend to know it's, it, it it's really hampering him. Even like when he played through the wrist issue, you could see like he could not swing the bat. He shouldn't have been out there. Why did the white Sox let him out there? I'm still confused about that. And it's never really been answered, but, uh, you know, we have to trust that, uh, both Pedro Grafal and Jeff had in the training staff will have, some new ideas with how to stop that. But if you can set those things aside, like it seems like the stakes help them like the pitching while not major league caliber, you know, a lot of spring training pitching is not major league caliber. So uh, the game States are real. They're important. They're important. Certainly their countrymen who are not playing in the major leagues yet, or at least you know, a lot of them aren't. So yeah, just, it, it seems like there's a worthwhile experience in being ready for real games and you know, responding and, and, and pulling pitches in the air that need to be pulled and coming through with clutch hits, like going through game situations that count. Uh, I don't really don't see a drawback as long as they're not playing through something they shouldn't be playing through. Um, but right now they seem to be fully functional. It's just more of a matter of like game speed. And, you know, as we know with Robert and we've talked about with him, just a matter of like taming that aggression uh, and, and kind of the way he goes in and out of that swing mode and, and then eventually ratchets down. You hope that he does that before coming back. If not, you hope that uh, the White Sox have a similar plan like they had with Oscar Colas because uh, Colas this spring really looks uh, like he knows what he wants to do with you know everything a pitcher is throwing at him. And there's a good story that James Fegan wrote talking about how they you know just spammed him with high velocity off speed pitches, uh, basically you know around the zone but below the knees or like below the below the thighs basically just basically telling him to lay off those pitches. And it seems like it's worked wonders. So hopefully the White Sox have some idea if Robert comes back uh, stateside with uh, you know a, a sketchy idea of the strike zone, if the White Sox have an idea of just how exactly to combat that. Ryan Roland-Smith, who was one of the color commentators for that pool out in Taiwan, I think he put it best that they are seeing sequencing that they would not see during spring training both Makata and Robert, and they're being pitched in 
different manners than spring training would be going on. Cause pitchers obviously have a game plan and there's, there's some game planning for hitters, but the pitchers themselves are working on specific situations and specific pitches in those situations because it's a glorified practice. When you're the road team, essentially in Taiwan facing Taiwan or Chinese Taipei in that atmosphere, you're not going to have that same type of energy until opening day in Houston. So I do think it's pretty beneficial that they are able to move on. And if they're going to be facing Japan in Tokyo, that's going to be another crazy atmosphere that they're going to go through. So it's like Robert and Mankata are going to be ready for whatever crowd awaits the White Sox in opening day in Houston, which I am going to assume because they're going to be given the World Series reigns and it's opening day weekend, that they're going to be sellout crowds. And they're going to be ready to go because they've already played in frenzy, <laughs> high energy type of atmospheres. And they may not see those type of atmospheres again if, if, unless the White Sox reach the postseason this year. So I, I view it as a really good thing, but you are right. Uh, hopefully nothing injury-wise. We haven't seen anything so far in the first four games. And if Robert continues to strike out at this type of rate uh, during the World Baseball Classic, when he does rejoin the White Sox, hopefully there is some type of quick adjustment that the White Sox hitting coaches can make with Robert to slim those numbers down. We recorded this podcast episode before the Sunday night game between Team USA and Mexico. So if you're not if you're wondering why we're not talking about Tim Anderson's performance because we recorded this before he played, but Tim Anderson did make the start for Team USA at shortstop against Team Mexico and we had a watch party. I'm speaking at past tense uh, as we we're recording this. We had a watch party with our friends from the 108 between USA and Mexico and we will continue to have watch parties on playback Monday, Tuesday and Wednesday nights. Monday night be USA versus Canada. Lance Lynn will be making that start, so of great interest to White Sox fans to watch that game. Tuesday, Mexico against Great Britain, and Wednesday, as we alluded to earlier, this is going to be 6 o'clock Central Time, the Dominican Republic against Puerto Rico, and I cannot wait for that one. High energy between those two countries. But Jim and I will take a quick break. But coming up next, we begin our position preview, starting with the shortstop position and Tim Anderson. Kick off the new year with new gear built to last. Our friends at Shady Rays have you covered from the sun to the slopes with premium polarized shades, customable snow glasses, and much more. Shady Rays is an independent sunglasses company that offers a world-class product that's just as good as any expensive pair you've worn. Durable frames and extremely clear optics for outdoor adventures. And that's not all. Shady Rays offers the most insane protection in all of eyewear. Every pair of sunglasses is backed by lost and broken replacements. If you lose or break your pair, even on day one, they told us they will send you a brand new pair, no questions asked. Wear your Shady Rays with confidence because they have your back long after you purchase. With Shady Rays, you can look good and feel good. To date, they have donated over 20 million meals to fight hunger with Feeding America. If you don't love them, exchange them for a new pair or return them for free within 30 days. There's no risk when you shop with Shady Rays. Their team always has your back. I actually have three pairs from Shady Rays because they just look awesome and I'm very picky about my sunglasses. Sometimes I like to match my sunglasses with my outfit. I could be that way. And exclusively for our listeners, Shady Rays is giving out their best deal 
of the new year. Go to ShadyRays.com and use promo code SOCKSMACHINE for 50% off two pairs of polarized sunglasses. Again, that's ShadyRays.com, promo code SOCKSMACHINE. Try for yourself the shades rated five stars by over 200,000 people. After last week's infield preview, where we focus on first and third base, in this position preview, getting ready for the 2023 season, we will be taking a look at the middle infielders. We're going to start with the starters, or the presumed starters, but we're very confident that these two are going to be the starting middle infield for the Chicago White Sox. At shortstop, Tim Anderson and Elvis Andrews being the starting second baseman. And we're going to start the conversation with Tim Anderson. And for his projections now, and this is coming from Fangraphs, the depth charts projections for Tim Anderson, 16 home runs, 58 RBIs, 289 batting average, 322 on base percentage, slug 427, a 3.2 war season for Anderson through that projection system. And Zips is projecting in 109 games, 13 homers, 45 RBIs for Tim Anderson, a 293 batting average, a 324 on base percentage, slugging 432, and a 2.6 war season. This, of course, is coming after a uneven let's call it 2022 season for Tim Anderson because from opening day to Memorial Day weekend Tim Anderson was a top 15 player in Major League Baseball Jim according to wins above replacement he was already at 2.1 war then he got the groin injury and he was replacement level for the rest of the season when he played and when he was fighting through that injury then he had a broken bone in his hand and then he missed the rest of the season so that's why I say it was a pretty uneven story for Tim Anderson in 2022, he's already made some comments in spring training. Everybody pulling on the same string and try to bring more positivity to the White Sox clubhouse. So when it comes to his big story in 2023 before the season starts, what kind of Tim Anderson are we going to see in 2023, Jim? In a few ways, because there's the performance thing. There's also, you know, he with Jose Abreu out and with you know, maybe not a leadership void, but just not the guy everybody points to as a leader. And with like somebody like, uh, you know, Eloy Jimenez saying like, I don't know who the leader is. And, you know, Pedro Grifal says that leaders aren't, you know, named, you know, basically leaders become leaders. They don't, you know, they, they aren't christened it. So like there is a gap there. And I think, you know, Anderson, part of the reason why he hasn't been able to naturally assume that uh, title is the availability and just, you know, missing, you know, an, an average of a third of a season makes it hard to be a leader if you're not around or if you're in a case like last year, uh, just compromised physically, just, you know, basically being your best self only for a couple months of the year and then trying to get by the rest of the year and then not being able to be on the field for the last two months, basically. So you look at it that way and just like, it's, it's amazing that he finished with an average above 300 with everything he had to deal with. Uh, but, you know, given the stakes, given just how, uh, you know, much the White Sox offense looks to miss a Brayu on paper and that uh, uh, the ways to combat his, uh, his absence will be a bunch of improvements all around the diamond. Anderson's probably, does as much to help the team as anybody if he's able to harness that improvement because not only is it like all-star level performance, but it's also games. Like the games have to be there. Yeah, I think we're going to see a very motivated Tim Anderson. And I've been mentioning this in previous podcast episodes. I've coined the phrase bags equal, yeah, sorry, bombs equal bags. I got to get my own saying straight. 
that I think we're going to see more power from Tim Anderson because of how much the premium shortstops have recently signed for in free agency. And here he is making 12 and a half million this year and 14 and a half million next year. You can consider him underpaid, but this is a pivotal year for the white Sox, And as a organization trying to get rid of the bad taste in their mouth from 2022, Tim Anderson is right in that same boat. He's trying to get rid of the bad taste that happened in 2022 and him focusing on the positive vibes and using positivity to move forward. We'll see if that positivity will turn into bigger and better results because I do think he is one of the top 10 shortstops in major league baseball. If he's healthy, Jim, and that's going to be something that he needs to prove in this season as he turns 30 years old is that he needs to figure out a way to stay on the field. One thing that caught my attention. So there is a baseball newsletter from Louis Polis called the lose letter. Funny. He's a data scientist who loves baseball and a newsletter post that he recently wrote focused on the shift band in spring training. And what he found is that currently in spring training, the league, the grapefruit and cactus league, the batting average for balls in play is currently 320. Thanks to the shift ban. That is the highest bab up since 2006. And what Louis is hypothesizing is that based on his research, the last 17 spring trainings, there seems to be a direct correlation between spring training bab up and regular season bab up. Hmm. And he's thinking that if we're seeing the all time high bab up in spring training, We've got a chance to see one of the highest bab ups in the league because of the shift ban with the the attention of the ban of trying to bring back the singles for some types of hitters. If this holds true, I have to imagine this is going to be a huge benefit to Tim Anderson, Jim, because he is one of the White Sox players that greatly benefits from having a high bab up. He has proven to have a high bab up. And while everybody at times discredits that and say, maybe that's more luck than skill. If the ship ban, especially with infielders, not playing up the middle or straight up the middle, if that suddenly gets opened up for Tim Anderson again, he could win another batting title. I think you can look at it two ways. One is that it doesn't help him that much because he's already a great bab up guy. He already knows how to, you know, put the ball where, uh, where they ain't. He uh, can hit opposite field. He can, uh, you know, he's not particularly shiftable around the, the infield, which is why like when they try, he's able to foil it by, you know, dinking balls in the right field. Uh, so there's that aspect. It could also help him because like it shores up his floor. Like it's a case where like if the Babip ever dried up on him, he would be like a, an ordinary at best player because his defense isn't that good. And his base running is dependent on the health of his legs. So like the Babbitt was what makes him special. So like if that ever dried up on him the way, like the algorithms have thought it would, because like most players, it does vary uh, greatly. And, and, and most players do come back to a norm that Anderson doesn't come back to like that helps like sharp his floor. So, I mean, like there's a case where like uh, it doesn't help him, And then there's a case where it's a wash the case where it helps him is like if he does want to try tapping into that power, 
he can do that a little more fearlessly because like if he does hit a grounder to the left side, well, they're not going to play him three in the left side. Or if the best contact does go up the middle, like that, that infielder might not be there. So it's a case where like he does, he can be a little bit more adventurous with like how much he tries to grip and rip because that's not as easily defendable. And like, if he finds out that it's not working for him, perhaps like, you know, I'm not sure if it's that easy as adjustment for him as it is for other hitters, but like, you know, perhaps it's a case where like he can always go back to his old approach approach of settling for singles. And then like the homers, he locks into them uh, with like the right pitch, meeting the bat at the right time. Um, but those are three ways to look at it. And given how new this whole environment is and the whole, the, uh, you know, this rule has never been implemented at the major league level. Like I'm really, I'm, I'm fascinated to see how it plays out because I can see the whole, the whole spectrum being possible. With Anderson, the reason I bring this up because in 2019, he had a 399 VAB up. He had almost a, a 400 batting average when he put the ball in play in 2020 in the shortened season, 383, 2021, 372, that dropped in 2022 to 347, and he still hit over 300. So he can have closer to, you know, getting closer to league average. Obviously, he's still above average in bat, but compared to 2019 when he was one of the league leaders in batting average and balls in play. But if with the shift ban, if it allows Tim Anderson to have a bat up again at 375 or greater, I mean, we're talking about a hitter in the White Sox that could have a batting average greater than 315. And as you pointed out, Jim, if it allows Anderson to be more aggressive early in the count to aim to put the ball over the fence or aiming to, you know, find the gap with line drives and hit for more power, we could see the Tim Anderson that we saw in 2019 and 2020 that slugged way over 800. I'm not slugged over 800. I'm sorry. Had an OPS well above 800 had a weighted runs created plus over like 125, so he was 25% better than league average. And he's in the force when it comes to wins above replacement. And that easily puts him in the top 10 shortstops in Major League Baseball. So while I understand where the projection models are coming from after a uneven 2022 season with Tim Anderson, out of all the players in the Chicago White Sox, I am most confident in Tim Anderson bouncing back in 2023 and having a really big season. And if the shift ban here is going to benefit all hitters, Tim Anderson has proven in the past, Jim, in recent history, that he could take advantage of those opportunities in many ways, and he could build a a monster season that nobody was really expecting. And just for context, the league average for BABIP uh, in 2022 is 290. So 347 over 290 is quite the advantage. And then like in previous years, uh, the BABIP had dropped over the years from about 300 to 290, which doesn't feel like a lot. But when you combine that with the strikeout rates uh, rising basically every year, that's why you've seen such a dramatic decrease in action and uh, kind of... Uh, station to station, or at least, you know, base to base action, why you've seen such a, an emphasis on the three true outcomes of homers, walks, and strikeouts, because it's really hard to string together those productive at bats, the way defense has got better and the pitchers got better. So that's why they've tried to tilt the scales in favor of the offense. And yeah, I mean, certainly all the elements are in play for uh, a lot of bad sequences. Like I could see like the normal pitcher still being excellent, but I could see like just more crooked numbers based on the way uh, you know guys who don't miss bats could be punished. Yeah, this is going to be previewing, like foreshadowing, I should say, 
an upcoming podcast episode when we talk about pitchers from a pitcher from a pitcher's aspect, strikeout rate is going to be more important than ever. If you're going to be seeing this type of BABIP numbers with the shift ban, and you're not going to have guys easily in the defense positions that they were last year, and you're giving up more singles, strikeout rate is going to be more important for pitchers this upcoming season. So let's talk about the one thing that Anderson has to improve upon in 2023. Is there one thing that you found, Jim, that you would like like to see improvement from Anderson? Probably his legs, like the health of his legs, uh, because that really, you know, and, and I guess you could say his hand too. I mean, you make sure that's all the way back when it comes to his power. But like even before the hand issue came into play that you know, uh, truncated the rest of the season, like coming back from the groin injury, he was not himself. He did not have his power. He did not really have his range. And even beforehand, like his range was a little bit sketchy and like his range was good, but it was also like, he could stop a lot of balls, but he couldn't necessarily convert balls on the very edges of his range into outs. Like he was good at getting there, but he had a hard time like completing it. You know, ball to glove, or uh, sorry, glove to ball, ball to hand, uh, hand throwing the ball at the first baseman. Like all those parts at some stage broke down. So like when you when you try to like get to a root issue, I think like his legs had the most to do with that. Like he you know, doesn't necessarily make his defense all the way better to where we're talking about like an above average defender, but improves his range enough to where like you can, you can shrug off those, you know, I guess boxed balls at the very edges of that range we're talking about. And he'll still make most of the plays that he got better at making. And then you just have the more authoritative contact uh, by getting his base into it, which we didn't really see after the groin injury. Uh, that's what made him an all-star and that's what padded his all-star case and allowed him to make, make the all-star game even after he wasn't the same hitter after coming back from the injured list. Um, but really like if he doesn't have his legs, if he doesn't have that base, like that's what makes him, you know, from being like a, an okay shortstop or like slightly above average to, to an all-star. And I think the White Sox, Really need that all-star jump this year. His legs will be the key to that. I I think you hit it right in the head. The other thing about the legs, too, is he going to steal more? I mean, with the bigger bases, the pickoff attempt limits for pitchers, are we going to see a 20 stolen base season from Tim Anderson? I I don't think he's done it once. I apologize. So 2018, Tim Anderson had 26 stolen bases. He was a 2020 hitter that year. He had 20 homers and he had 26 stolen bases. It's, it's the only time Anderson has done that in his career. Could we see that in 2023? Will that aspect of his game return or is he still going to play it safe when it comes to his legs? I, he always gets off to that pace. He always like starts off in April, like, Oh, yeah. he's on pace for like 35 bags. And then by the all-star break, it dries up. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. No, I, I really like that as far as the health of his legs. And we're going to know early with Tim Anderson. And probably more important, does he still have that same leg strength come June and July? Because that's when he starts to to get hurt during the season and knock on wood or break any wooden object over your knee. Let's hope that doesn't happen. So let's go to the over-under for Tim Anderson. And we've been poking around this topic but I have 125 and a half games played by Tim Anderson in the 2023 season, Jim. Are you taking the over or the under? I'm going to take the over, not with a whole lot of confidence, Mm. but I think enough has changed between uh, the new manager, uh, new additions to the training staff, 
Uh, so either there'll be better preparation or better communication should there be an issue. You also have Elvis Andrews there as somebody who can step in to spell him for a week if like he just needs to get off his feet and needs a, a brief stint on the injured list uh, without like making something worse. And as you've mentioned, like there's a the whole motivation thing of shortstops getting paid and like he can increase the power. Yeah. But like, as we saw with like Dansby Swanson, who's not like a huge power guy himself, like Dansby Swanson got paid because he plays shortstop pretty much every day and he plays a good kind of shortstop. So you can get paid a few different ways, but if you're only playing, like if you're topping out like at 124 games a year, uh, that's, you know, still going to take a huge chunk out of your, your payday. And every team that signs you is going to have to account for the half to a third of the season you're going to miss. So ultimately I think that motivate whatever motivation he has to produce and improve on his numbers also extends the games played, which probably hampers his earnings. Most of all, I'm also taking the over. There's not, <laughs> if you just look at recent history, we're a bit crazy taking the over, but here we go. Blind optimism for the White yeah. Sox fans that give us a tough time about being too negative here. We are being pretty optimistic with Tim Anderson, even though everything suggests that 125 games may be tough for him to get to just with his previous injury history, but he's going to do it. Damn it. He's going to play more than yeah. 125 and a half games. Yeah, it's also if he doesn't get there, then the White Sox are kind of screwed. Yeah, yeah. You're not entirely, you know, you know, the Cleveland, the division isn't deep enough to where like one injury can knock the White Sox out because every team in the Central, I think, has to deal with that. Like if Jose Ramirez gets hurt, like, uh-oh. If Byron Buxton, you know, has to miss like half the season again, like the Twins are in trouble. So like, you know, it's not a case where one injury can do it, but his absence would be among the most harmful just because as we talked with the Andrew signing, like the middle infield depth looks scary without him. And uh, you know, if he's out again, like Andrews helps, but Andrews only goes so far and then it's up to the others step up and we'll get to them in a bit. Yeah. So let's talk about Elvis Andrews. We are projecting him to be the starting second baseman for the Chicago White Sox on opening day. He's having a really strong spring training. I think he's ready to go for opening day depth charts and zips. They are not as optimistic as I am when it comes to Elvis Andrews. Fangraph step charts has Andrews at 10 homers, 52 RBIs, a 245 batting average, a below 300 on base percentage. So does Zips. Uh, slugging just 362. Zips has uh, Andrews at a 350 slugging percentage. Depth charts on Fangraphs has Andrews at one and a half war in 120 games. Zips has got Andrews at 1.8 war in 134 games. And when you look at these numbers and the way that I'm seeing him play at spring training and remembering and how he just finished with the White Sox last year, I'm not exactly dumbfounded, but I am one to bet against the projections. And I think Andrews is going to crush these projections. Can Elvis Andrews beat these projections, Jim? I think that's the biggest storyline for Andrews. Can he defy the aging process here and deliver one more time for the White Sox. Yeah. It's, it's funny when you talk about the wins above replacement, he was worth two wins alone to the White Sox in 43 games, according to fan graphs. I think uh, baseball reference was a little bit lower, but still like um, clearly like that's in, that's like an all-star pace yeah. uh, over the course of all season on like enough to get any MVP support, unless you're like all of a sudden, <laughs> but yeah, it's uh 
it's a case where, you know, talk about motivation for one, you know, and that Andre seemed pretty steamed with the way the athletics handled the end of his career, even though it was understandable as a baseball decision and the way the A's were going and probably Andrews himself didn't really care to be there, you know, for a team that's mailing it in. So ultimately it was an upgrade on his uh, position from like a baseball standpoint. He just gets paid far less this year. And, you know, maybe it's a case where like he'd prefer to have the millions versus playing for a contender, but uh, you know, it just happens to be like, he can, he can make uh do with what the white Sox, the, the opportunity he has in front of with the white Sox. So I, I, I think like the, projections there are some weak points in terms of Andres's game that could knock him down a little bit um I, I think the big thing concerns me is his performance against righties was ordinary uh even even below average like all of his above average stuff came against lefties and as we've talked about the white Sox, especially when they're at the heyday of their lefty killing uh period like that was a case where uh adding another lefty killer doesn't really help that much and they still have weaknesses against righties so like you know, adding another lefty killer might not help that much, but, you know, he does have a higher floor still against righties than the other candidates. So uh, it, it's a case where, to me, it's not so much a matter of can he beat his projections. Um, it's more of a matter of, like, will his projection, or, like, sorry, will his, will the way he beats his projections be felt? Like, if he adds to the ways the White Sox are already good, but doesn't help them in the way that they're bad. Um, then it's a case where like, yeah, he might be worth three to four wins, but his impact won't be as felt as if like he could have done the same production against righties uh, with his weakness against lefties where he might've had more help. Yeah. This is just the third season last year for Elvis Andrews. And in large part, the way that he played for the White Sox, where for the season, he was above 100 in weighted runs created plus. He was above 100 back in 2016 and 2017 for the Texas Rangers. 2017 was his big season where he hit 20 homers and he scored 100 runs and he drove in 88 RBIs for that Rangers team. And he was worth 4.4 war, according to Fangraphs. That was his best year as a regular in the major leagues. And moving the conversation over to what is one thing that Elvis Andrews has to improve upon, I'm going to be focusing on how he's handling second base because it is a different angle than he is used to for his entire career at being a shortstop. Now, he has admitted second base is a little weird for him <laughs> because it's a different angle, but we talked so much already in this podcast episode about the offensive impact with the shift being banned. Now here we are talking about the defensive impact being the, sh the, the shift being banned. And when we talked about Elvis Andrews resigning with the White Sox, we were pretty hopeful. All right, you have two major league shortstops now up the middle. And I'm wondering if Andrews can carry over his shortstop defensive ability over to second base and it doesn't get too weird, Jim. And he's able to continue to turn double plays with Tim Anderson. That's got to raise his floor, right? as far as production with wins above replacement, if he can show better defensive ability for the White Sox at second. I think so. It's a case where like, there's always the weird outlier. Like I always remember Alexi Ramirez being ordinary to below average at second base and Ozzy and say like, Oh, he's going to be way better at shortstop. And you're thinking like, that's up the defensive spectrum. How is he going to be better at shortstop? And sure enough, like he was a very good shortstop. And, you know, of course, Ozzy should know, like, yeah, it's a case where like, yeah, maybe you do a, a appeal to authority a little bit in that case, because, you know, maybe one good shortstop to another can understand like, yeah, he's got what it takes and second base is weird. So I don't necessarily, you know, I guess, 
blindly assume that Andres will be as good at second as well at shortstop, but all of the math is there in terms of like the length of throws, the, uh, you know, the angles you can take. And also like, it's going to be different for all second basemen, no matter what uh, this year. I think that's something in his favor. Like he's not moving to a second base position at, a whole bunch of other guys have already mastered by having no help on that side of the diamond. Like every second baseman over the last, you know, five, six, seven years, whenever like shifting became like uh super widespread to where like only a few teams were kind of holding out, like they've had help. They've had help on the right mm-hmm. side. They've had help behind them. Like it's, it's been very easy for uh ordinary second baseman to be masked and now they can't. So Perhaps this is the best year for anybody to be making the shift just because like if he looks out of sorts or out of place or like he was standing in the wrong place and and, and finds himself just being out of range and Babbitt goes against him. Like I imagine there will be an, a handful of second basemen who are in the same position aside from like the best of the best. I, I, th- I think he's going to handle it well. Like I, I, when it comes to the middle infield, as long as Tim Anderson and Elvis Andrews stay healthy, again, the precursor to everything regarding the 2023 Chicago White Sox, just stay healthy. I have a feeling this has got a chance to be a pretty strong up the middle type of unit. And we've been hoping for something like this. Even when the White Sox drafted Nick Madrigal, we had visions of Tim Anderson and Nick Madrigal up the middle when... Again, we still had high hopes for Nick Madrigal. It's been a while where the White Sox had solid footing up the middle, Jim, at shortstop Mm -hmm. and second base. Maybe you were confident in one of the two, but you weren't super confident in both. For me at least, and maybe again, this is just my blind optimism with this particular position group, it's been, what, a, a decade since I have felt this comfortable with the White Sox up the middle at short and second. It's good. Like it's, it's definitely solid. I mean, there's always like the Cesar Hernandez worry about just like a veteran showing up and sure. You know, having like, Oh, he should provide a high floor. And then it just completely collapses. But at least he had the, we had the introductory period last year, which I think helps in this case. And like, even if he comes down or he has room to come down and still be a very useful person because like, you know, as we we've talked about with like when he was signed, it's just, he prevents disaster from spreading the shortstop if he stays healthy. And like, he's had a pretty good health track record. So like that should be as safe to assume as pretty much anybody, you know, you know, just setting aside age concerns and the occasional, you know, injury here and there throughout a long career that's been otherwise very durable. Uh, I feel pretty good about that. So like, it's really a case where he can patch a whole shortstop should Tim Anderson have to miss some time and, you know, allow the second base auditions we thought we might be seeing with Romy Gonzalez and Lenin Sosa and Larry Garcia to take place at like much lower stakes, whether it's on the bench or whether it's in Charlotte, which I think is, is nice. Yes. So the last thing about Elvis Andrews over under, this is a weird one. And I'm going to explain 107 and a half weighted runs created plus. Now you may be asking Josh, how did you get to that number? Because I have a steak dinner bet now with our friend Beeflo from the 108. If you remember the steak dinner bets from last year, we are bringing that back. And this is our season long steak dinner bet. I have the over I think Elvis Andrews will have a weighted runs created plus of 108 or more in 2023. And our friend Beef Loaf is taking the under because he doesn't share my optimism with Elvis Andrews. So, Jim, I ask you, are you taking the over or are you taking the under? 
I'm I regret to inform you I'm taking the under not <laughs> not buying you a stake if it happens yeah. not necessarily <laughs> because of anything pertaining to him like you know I do have my questions about how he'll handle right-handed pitching I do see that his uh, batting average on balls and play against right-handed pitching is like 30 points lower than it was against lefties so that's a case where maybe the shifting does help him a little bit in terms of getting more cheap singles against uh right-handed pitching that's good but I just wonder when it comes to rate stats and I would I would hesitate to play space bets on rate stats just because like I don't know what the average WRC plus or OPS plus <laughs> is going to be this year uh, with, uh, or I know what the average is going to be 100, but I don't know what the average like way to runs created is going to be like, or OPS is going to be, or, or BABIP's going to be just because like these new roles in play. So I could see like, if the um, spring training numbers do carry over, like you mentioned earlier, that could really throw everything out of whack to like, even what feels like a very good season by Andrews looks pretty much like league average because everybody else is benefiting in the same way. So that's why I'm a little hesitant to say he'll beat that just because like, I think there's a lot of room for him to be very useful to the White Sox and ve even very good as a hitter and still not look that impressive according to the league. Yeah. League average, I think was an OPS below 700 last year. So like a 100 weighted runs created plus could have been an OPS below 700. And when we look at those slash line folks, that's not good. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Below 700 OPS is not good, but you know, that was league average, the dead ball. Now we've made these rule changes. So that's a really good point, Jim. Watch the league average OPS is like 725 and Elvis Andrews is at like 735 and he doesn't get to 108. He's at like 104 weighted runs created plus. And we're happy with that type of production from but Elvis you're not Andrews. Happy. But I lose out on a steak dinner. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So I believe in you, Elvis. I believe you in you, Tim Anderson. Uh, again, this, uh, this up the middle before the White Sox signed Elvis Andrews, I was really concerned talking about second base because I just did not like what the White Sox were doing at second base. And now that they brought back Elvis Andrews, I feel a heck of a lot better about the White Sox middle infield. So I'm pretty optimistic about this unit. Now, what happens in case somebody gets hurt? We're going to talk about the White Sox backup options after a quick word from our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome back to the Sox Machine Podcast. All right, so let's talk about the White Sox middle infield depth. We have talked quite a bit about Lurie Garcia and Romy Gonzalez and Lenin Sosa, maybe even seeing Jose Rodriguez 
this year for the Chicago White Sox? Well, it just so happens to be on Sunday after the one-to-one tie against Los Angeles Angels, the Chicago White Sox made some roster moves. They optioned Carlos Perez and Lenin Sosa to Charlotte. So Lenin Sosa will not be on the opening day roster right now for the Chicago White Sox. They've optioned Brian Ramos and Jose Rodriguez to Birmingham. Uh, so I don't think that's any type of surprise there. Uh, Yoki Cespedes, Edgar Navarro, Nate Fisher, Andrew Perez, and Sammy Peralta, they have been reassigned to minor league camp. But when it comes to the middle infield depth, again, there was the question of Lenin Sosa versus Romy Gonzalez once spring training started. And that was, again, before the Elvis Andrews signing. Well, Romy outlasted Lenin Sosa. But I think when it comes to middle infield depth, if this is still a question between Lurie Garcia and Romy Gonzalez, Jim, you have alluded to the fact that it doesn't make a lot of sense to carry both of them on the bench. Do you still feel that way? Yeah, especially when both are playing the way that they are right now. Like I'm looking at their spring training stats. Romy's one for 17. Oh my uh, gosh. It's a 059 average, six strikeouts, you know, which isn't terrible, but still just like not producing much. Garcia is four for 23 with five strikeouts. Like he's got a homer. He's got a double. He showed a little bit more pop, a little bit more life, but he's also like, he had a base running blunder. Didn't realize how many outs there were. Yeah. Uh, Steve Stone made fun of him. Yeah. Just <laughs> so like, you know, neither uh, player is covering himself in glory right now. So yeah, if it comes down to that, I just carry Larry just because like uh, Gonzalez isn't quite ready yet. Like he didn't have a great year at, triple a last year because of the issues he had with the tonsillitis and the leg issues he had like we knew that sosa probably just needed a good proper period in triple a to finish his development and, and and build on the progress he made last year so that's not a surprise um i was curious to see like just you know what all this Romy hype was leading to and so far it's it hasn't amounted to much like he made a nice play in left field so i think we've seen some of the versatility come into play but the big question in terms of like will he hit enough to make it matter has not been resolved yet. He still has some time, like, but like I said, I'd rather see Garcia used as like fodder to, uh, yeah, if he's not going to be productive, but if Gonzalez is also not going to be productive and if Sosa is not ready to be productive, just take the guy who's being paid already mm-hmm. <laughs> and can at least protect those players from being overexposed or pre-exposed if they're not ready for that kind of stage yet. And then like once April uh, passes and if Garcia still looks like a crisis, then see how guys look at Charlotte and go from there. So when it comes to the Romy Gonzalez hype coming to spring training, which was borderline ridiculous and continues to age worse as we march down spring training, does that enter or create any doubt in your mind with the new coaching staff and their ability to read the players that they currently have on hand? Because they were were the ones building up hype for Romy Gonzalez. And when Mm -hmm. you're one for 17 in spring training and seeing some of his plate appearances, whether it's in highlights or the few spring training streams that we have. I don't know what they saw in the off season, but it's not translating on the field. And what we are seeing in the field in spring training looks a lot like what we saw from Romy Gonzalez at the end of the 2022 season, which is not a major leaguer. On the plus side, there's Oscar Colas, who's slugging 633. And he was there in Miami with Jose well, Castro yeah. and Pedro Griffal <laughs> just as much. So uh, you know, yes. it could be, to me, it was a case of like, they were just trying to, uh, pretend they weren't interested in Andrews or something like that. And just, you know, as negotiations are going on okay. and then after it happened, they couldn't say like, yeah, we were lying about that. So they still had uh, to pump them up a little bit. And also maybe they <laughs> want to like, 
uh, let Larry know that like, if he looked as bad in spring training and somebody looked great, like, you know, his job might not be safe. And unfortunately that's not happening right now. So, so was like Sosa numbers, uh, two for 15, uh, no walks, no strikeouts. So like the, uh, strikeout problem wasn't there. Uh, but you know, probably the same swing decisions need to be sharpened up, uh, the way that we thought they might need to be. So that's fine there, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a little bit of a mess. And I was hoping that like Romy would step up and prove everybody right so far, but like, uh, there's still time. Like uh, they were unrealistic expectations. I mean, like he could have looked great and part of him looking great could have been like, he's fully healthy and up to speed. And, you know, he has all of his physical capabilities back, which is no small thing. Now you just have to like apply it to real game situations against guys trying to get you out and, and, you know, the knowledge base of just failing like that. And I think that process got interrupted last year by the health issues he had, and hopefully he'll be able to do it without, uh, or, or, you know, should he be able to do it? He'll have a spot in the roster. Should it take some time or should it be elusive? Like hopefully the white Sox won't be forced to have to call him up again because nobody else is, is really taking that mantle. Could you imagine if Elvis Andrews did not return to the white Sox? Yeah. Our, our second base conversation would be, who do you choose? Larry Garcia, Romy Gonzalez, who's one for 17 at spring training or Lenin Sosa, who's two for 15. Like, unlike as you, as you brought up Oscar Colas, Oscar Colas has performed so well in spring training and he's hit he's hit home runs now in back-to-back games in spring training. He's getting a little bit more confident with the power stroke and he's starting to flex some power. Oscar Colas has earned the starting role in right field. Nobody at this moment has earned, earned any starting position with the White Sox between Garcia, Gonzalez, and Sosa. And quite frankly, I mean, Sosa ends up losing, but but picking between Garcia and Gonzalez, like, it's a poor reason to say it's going to be Lurie because he's getting $5 million. But you're right, Jim. Like, I can't argue against that point because you're not going to cut Garcia now, especially when you still owe him guaranteed money next year, that the contract may play a factor and... He's well-liked in the clubhouse, and it's another veteran voice in the clubhouse for rookie manager Pedro Grafal. Like, that might be the deciding factor of why Lurie Garcia wins the job over Romy Gonzalez, but I'm with you. I don't think you can have both on the bench. No matter how much Pedro Grafal likes Romy Gonzalez, if he does not pick up his numbers in spring training, he's got to go back into Charlotte and be interested to see on how Charlotte uses him because not only will Charlotte have Yo you know, Lenin Sosa and Romy Gonzalez, but they still have Yobert Sanchez. And I'm sure they're going to have Jake Berger and or Zach Remillard. Like the infield is kind of loaded for Charlotte mm-hmm. in a way that they have more infielders than they actually have spots in the infield. Do they use Romy Gonzalez at a super utility role with the Knights? And he just plays all over the field to keep him loose in that particular situation. If the white Sox do need a super utility type in case Larry Garcia gets hurt, but I think if you're trying to find hope in the depth, what should we tell White Sox fans? Pay attention to Lenin Sosa and Jose Rodriguez. Like that's your best hope right now. Yeah. I like those guys the most just because they're on a natural progression uh, with the way their skills are coming together and with the way they've overcome uh, stumbles uh, being young for levels at the levels they played, like especially both, you know, Sosa's had like a, a persistent learning curve at every level he's played. Rodriguez has knocked everything out until Birmingham and which he had like two months of hardships until he finally figured it out and started pulling the ball in the air with authority. And, 
that's fine because he's been really young for every level he's played. So like, you know, they, they've been perfectly acceptable with the way they've uh, whenever they they've had weak moments, it's been because they're young and they're learning. And with, with Gonzalez, he's uh, on a bit, a uh, bit of the older side. Like, I don't want to say he's old just because he did lose a pandemic season. So in terms of development, he's probably right on, on track in terms of like, the amount of major league, sorry, professional experience he's gained for his, uh, the years he's been a pro ball is fine. And the levels he's played at is fine. It's just a case where like, we've seen some very real flaws talking about like the swinging and missing in the zone on fastballs to where like, yeah, there's, there's something that's really prohibiting him from sticking the majors that isn't quite evident yet with Sosa and Rodriguez. So I would go with them naturally, but I'm not opposed to Gonzalez who already made one big leap doing it again, just because like, I think there's something to the idea of players making players who have shown the ability to learn and adjust once, like, why wouldn't they be able to, to tighten up another part of their game? Like, and they're not going to ever, it's not going to be a case where they get to perfect, but at least, you know, they've shown the ability to, to learn and to take coaching and to understand what they're doing wrong and to make it right. So not counting them out. It just, I think there are more reasons to be skeptical about him just because of what we've seen at the major league level. Yeah, the, this last point I'll make when it comes to the middle infield depth for the White Sox, and I just thought of this, and this is more of a topic of the Future Sox podcast, which you guys should also listen to subscribe to with Mike Rakin and James Fox. Uh, the Birmingham infield could be interesting. If you're going to have Jose Rodriguez and Brian Ramos, and if they challenge Colson Montgomery and they start Montgomery in Birmingham, that could be a reason to tune in to the, the web streams in Birmingham. Those three, it could, it could make Birmingham Barons games a uh, a lot more enjoyable to watch. Well, Kurt Bloom is always a reason to tune in. Well, Kurt's always yeah. great. I mean, yeah, that's without saying, but I'm just talking about like on yes, the field. Yes. I mean, Kurt's entertaining no matter what's on the field for Birmingham. It's been a challenge for the Barons to put together a complete team, a winning team in the Southern League in Birmingham. But when you got Brian Ramos, Colson Montgomery, and Jose Rodriguez in the infield. You got a chance to be really good every single day for the Birmingham Barons, and the folks yeah, deserve like that. April could be rough. April could be rough, but hopefully, like by midsummer, they're winning some ball games with uh, some 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 action. Which those you know three players are all they're exciting players. Like they all can uh, you know keep the line moving. They all can take extra bases. You know Rodriguez is really his stolen base rate has really taken off. So I mean like they're the kind of players you want to see at the minor league level, just in terms of like things happening runs crossing the plate. So hopefully it's like a, it's a quicker learning curve for them. And hopefully project Birmingham knocked that down a little bit to make it more accessible. But yeah, I'm hoping the same thing because it's been a little bit bare for them. And uh, you know, Lord knows when there's like a great moment uh, in a Barons game, like, yeah, those highlights are always worth listening to because, because Kurt always brings it. Yeah. And the community, they do support the Barons. Yeah. It may not be on the same level as Charlotte as Charlotte has a bigger stadium, but you get 4,000 people at Regions Field in Birmingham, and I've been to one of those games. You could definitely feel the energy, especially when Michael Kopech was pitching in Birmingham and just how everybody was really attentive in that community. They, they could have a good reason to be attending games in Birmingham this year, especially if you have those three infielders. And yeah, we'll talk about Colson Montgomery as he progresses, but it's a little early for him to talk about him being a realistic option for the White Sox in the middle infield in 2023. That might be a conversation more for next year, White Sox fans, in 2024, if Colson Montgomery performs well 
in double A. And uh, we know about the Birmingham brick wall. So best of luck to Colson Montgomery. And yeah, that was just something that I thought of as far as the near future for the White Sox in the middle infield with their top prospects. But that will do it for this position preview for the 2023 season for the Chicago White Sox up the middle at shortstop at second base. So we have taken care of most of the positions. We got to talk about catcher in a future episode. We got to talk about the White Sox bullpen. We got to talk about the White Sox starting pitching. So that's some position groups that you could look forward to an upcoming Monday podcast for the Sox machine. Uh, And if you just discovered the Sox Machine podcast, you can subscribe to our show wherever you listen to podcasts, such as Spotify and Apple Music. You can follow us on Twitter. We're at Sox Machine. You can follow me on Twitter at Sox Machine underscore Josh. We also post our podcast up in the YouTube channel at youtube.com slash Sox Machine. Please subscribe to our channel and also watch some of the videos that we make on youtube.com slash Sox Machine. If you enjoy our work and would like more, you can help support us over at patreon.com slash Machine, where our Patreon supporters get exclusive content. They get ad-free versions of both the podcast and website. And when we have new Sox Machine swag in the Sox Machine store, they're the first ones to receive it. We just recently met with our Veterans Committee members uh, to talk about plans that we have for this upcoming season, Jim. We're also going to be curling with them uh, in the upcoming weeks as well. So if you are are interested in being part of our Veterans Committee, committee uh you can go to patreon.com slash socks machine you can read over the details you can apply to be part of our veterans committee and jim and i will talk to you about being part of that type of exclusive club where you get more into the behind the scenes at socks machine as far as our thinking and some of our big goals that we have in the next couple of years to trying to bring the best white socks content to you guys Again, you can sign up at patreon.com slash machine, where monthly plans start at $2 a month, or you can save with an annual subscription. The Sox Machine Podcast is a production of SoxMachine.com, your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball and part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening and watching. Mm-hmm.